0: All right, everybody, well, welcome back for another night in Colossians. <clears throat> uh, we are going to be back at the tail end of chapter 3 into the very first verse of chapter 4 tonight. That's the plan. And <clears throat> then next Thursday, we are not meeting on the 21st, so we will not have anything next Thursday night. Please remember that. And then uh, the, that, what is it, next Saturday, <clears throat> we will be in this same room next Saturday uh, watching American Gospel 2 and we will have… Uh, that'll start at 8.30 in the morning. We'll ho- we hope to have some breakfast items and then a lunch available at the end. And we'll also discuss what we watch around the tables as we eat lunch. That'll be next Saturday, a week from this Saturday. And then we'll have our last week in Colossians on the 20… whatever it is, the 28th or something like that at the end of July. And we may have to put Philemon on hold uh, because we didn't quite make it to Philemon in time. So, the for the big Philemon fans in the room… I'm not even sure how to say the the name of the book, honestly. I don't know if it's Philemon, Philemon, I don't know, but if that's like your favorite book of the Bible, I'm sorry. We, we hope to come to it someday, but we probably won't make it there uh, this summer. Jerry? I'm a little surprised
1: we made it to chapter three. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see if we make it past there.
0: But we have
1: 18 to uh, chapter four, verse one, Mark. Should we start at 18? Would that be good? Yes. Okay, good deal. Scott, you want to read that and uh, pray for us. These are really instructions or uh, rules for the Christian household. If you have the ESV Bible, you'll see where, where we're getting that. And um, this follows a lot of uh, great instruction that we've had in Chapter 3. How about it, Scott?
2: Yeah. Uh, Colossians 3, starting in verse 18. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives, and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Heavenly Father, we're thankful again for these Thursday nights, thankful for all those who serve and make it possible, and uh, just thank you uh, for these nights. They are special times with our church as a a church family to gather here and to open up your word and discuss your word and even to break out in the tables afterwards. It's been so fun to do that. Uh, I pray as we come to this passage, uh, I pray that we'd have appropriate conviction where we need to have conviction, which I, I certainly think that we will all feel at least some conviction in this passage, but I pray that we'd also remember the gospel and the sweetness of the gospel, and we'd be empowered by the gospel to go forth and to try to more fully obey these commands. Help us as husbands to really love our wives sacrificially and humbly, and pray for the wives in the room that they would uh, more and more submit out of reverence for Christ to their husbands, and pray for us as parents in the room that uh, we would just raise our children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. There's so many ways that we can go wrong Uh, as parents. I think we'll see some of that tonight, but give us strength to more fully honor you uh, as parents, and help us to, to work uh, not as sort of merely eye service, as people pleasers, but help us to work with sincerity of heart uh, for you at our jobs. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I would have to think that uh,
1: if you're a parent, um, wife, husband, parent, that this is, you would see, and I think we would all say, this is our most important job in so many ways, uh, jobs or tasks or um, duties. But yet, I just think some of the hardest and I don't know that there's any man or uh, man for sure that would say, hey, have you really loved your wife as Christ loved the church? And he'd just say, well, we, we know the way Christ loves us. To love our wives in, uh, in that manner is, um, is an amazing thing. Mark, you helped us last week. I really liked that, the part on the, you know, the confusion with the gender roles now and maybe a bigger um disputed passage in our in our culture than maybe ever.
0: Yes. <clears throat> my, my dad was mentioning this to me, but uh, it's been said by a few different people in the last few years that, you know, in, in the early church, the big debated point was the doctrine of the Trinity, and who is Jesus? Is He fully God, fully man? That There was a big debate for centuries on those kinds of things, Nicaea, Chalcedon, these famous uh, moments in church history. Then you get to the Reformation and you have the doctrine of justification by faith. I mean, what an incredible battle. It's the center of the gospel, it's the center of the Christian faith, the, you know, the hinge of the whole of Christianity on how we are right before God. And that was the big debate in the 15 the, uh, you know, teens and 20s and 30s. Well, then we fast forward to today, and uh, our big debate is anthropology, which is the study of who human beings are. Who are we in God's image? And today, the, the debate of our generation is anthropology. It's not justification. It's not the hypostatic union of Christ's nature as truly God and truly man. No, the big, the big hot-button contentious issue today where we're going to see a lot of compromise is not going to be seeing a lot of, uh, you know, Unitarianism or something. That's not going to be our main issue. Our main issue is going to be uh, people uh, having an unbiblical anthropology or an unbiblical view of men and women made in God's image and the roles and the uniqueness that, that God has given to us. Mm-hmm.
1: And this is a shorter um, summary of these uh, things or… Uh, um What Paul writes here as far as compared to Ephesians but still just so good and so many things here Scott what when you look at uh, 18 and 19 on our weight, where we'll spend a little bit more time with 20 and 21 um, just what are your thoughts there
2: yeah well one of the one of the things I would say at the beginning I've shared the story before but uh, R.C. Sproul's mentor was a guy named John Gerstner who was a very intense man but you can watch a lot of his stuff online uh but he, he, his conversion story i love his conversion story he didn't he grew up in a nominal christian home where basically they never went to church he doesn't remember ever hearing the gospel uh until he was 18. he was in between i guess high school and college and one of his he said pious professors or high school teachers said why don't you go down to philadelphia school of the bible and take a bible class down there so he went down to philadelphia school of the bible he met with the dean of students and he asked them this brilliant question you know, what does this Bi- what does this bible college teach and he said the, the dean of students Once he got that question, he realized he needed to tell him basically the gospel. He said, so for 30 minutes, this teacher said, just the story of redemption. He started with Genesis and just traced the whole story of redemption. And Gershner said, you know, he's 18 years old. He said this was far and away the most important 30 minutes of his life. As he said that, he sat there transfixed, listening to the gospel for the first time. He was just amazed by what he was hearing. He said, I didn't flick an eyebrow. He just said he was just so transfixed by the gospel. He thinks he was converted right then and there on the spot, listening to this guy teach. But he said, after that, he just said, I had one question and it was, how can I most fully serve the Lord Jesus Christ. I think that's, you've got it right there. In light of the gospel now, we want to live it out in every area of life, and certainly it's, we're gonna to get to the rubber meets the road here, and husband's wife, wife, husbands, and, and children, and parents, but it's, it's this gospel transformation. We got to see how the gospel connects to every, I think there can be disconnects in our life, but we want to see how the gospel is gonna impact, it should impact, the way I as a husband treat my wife, how the wife submits. So I think getting that gospel central there at the beginning, and then working from that is, is crucial. Good. Yeah, Mark, go ahead and start us off here. Yeah,
0: and just on the screen, this is a very, very simple outline with the passage. It just kind of goes almost a verse at a time. But you've got wives and then husbands, which we talked about some last week. We're going to focus a lot right now on children and fathers, especially on the father-parenthood side. And then we'll move into servants and masters, which for us today would be looking like employers and employees would be sort of the way to apply that passage to us today. But yes, we will jump in. Uh, Let me reread the first few verses. Verse 18 again. Wives, submit to your uh, husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. So, you've often talked about the, the phrase, children, obey your parents in everything. And can you just talk a little bit about how we, we oftentimes don't love that word everything. And obviously it's not saying we follow our parents into sin. We, we know that, right? That's we're, you never uh, obey man rather than God. But when it comes to the vast majority of what we're asked to do as children, uh, we are called to obey gladly. And we all fail in this all the time as children, but a, a word about that verse. Yeah, and then obey here. And, and in Ephesians, obey and honor. And someone said,
1: maybe this too simplistic, but obey is the action. And honor is the attitude. And so sometimes I think it's easier to obey than maybe to honor our parents. And and obey, maybe while we're living at home, that's the main thing. But when you're 30 or 40, you're maybe not obeying your parents, but boy, you're still called to honor them. And so I think that that's a convicting thing to us. In the way we talk about our parents, in the way we... Look to respect them. It, are we really honoring our parents, no matter how old we are, in that way? And I think that's challenging sometimes as adults. It's challenging when you're little too, but uh, but once we get to it as adults, sometimes we don't honor our parents like we want. And it's a very convicting um, passage, especially the Ephesians, uh, you know, um, passage like this.
0: Vodi if, if you don't know, he was raised by a single at the time teenage mother who was a Buddhist in, I think he says, South Central Los Angeles, he did not have a a present father in his life by any stretch of the imagination. His biological father died uh, a number of years ago, and uh, I guess his father had left a message and, you know, he was not close to his father, his father was not even in any sense a Christian, but his father left a message saying he wanted his son, Vodi to preach at his funeral. And uh, he said, I looked at my wife, I think Bridget is is her name, he said, I looked at Bridget, he said, with tear-stained eyes, and we looked at each other and she said, what are you going to do? And he said, I'm going to honor my father. So, he went and spoke, and I'm sure he presented the gospel at his father's funeral even though his father was not by any stretch of the imagination a good father. Uh, Honoring our parents is not something that they qualify for or don't qualify for. Even in Vody's case where he was entirely absent his whole life. Bodhi still was called to honor him. And as an adult man, he preached his funeral and honored his father, even though he would have disagreed with his father on all kinds of important issues.
1: Yeah, I think that's the hard part about all of these commands here is they have nothing to do, I need to uh, not exasperate my children no matter how they're acting, right? And I need to love my wife no matter, she has nothing to do with that. Her actions shouldn't persuade me one way or another. I need to honor Uh, my parents, no matter if they've been great parents or or not, uh, that's just what we're called to do in everything, like you said. And uh, that's a very challenging
0: This goes with what you just said, but I heard a great statement about this. You obey your parents until you leave the home and you honor them till you die. You obey till you leave. That's gonna change after you move out. You obey until you leave and you honor until you die. And I think that's a good way to, to think about it. We never move beyond honoring our, our parents.
2: Yeah, how about that? Uh, oh, go ahead, Scott. Well, Jerry, I was just gonna say like your wife, Amy, when her dad died not too long ago, can you just talk just briefly a bit about oh, how yeah. she sort of honored her father, just it was tremendous. Right, the way that she's
1: not she... visiting her mom now because her mom could, took a back seat, but they, uh, lived in Evansville and, and Amy is just very, uh, is an only, um, she's the only daughter to her mom and dad. And, uh, and they were divorced when she was 16, partly what really brought her to the Lord was seeing that, hey, wait a second here, I can't rely on anything that is going on in my house right now. I need a savior, and that's really what what God used amazingly to bring her to bring her to Christ, but yeah, she was amazing in the way she would go see her dad um whatever eight or nine hours away and just serve him and and even said the other day, just still with tears, missing him said I just am so thankful for those like really three months, four months there where he was really ailing that she had a chance to go serve him just one more time. And uh, I, I think that's, uh, that was a great example to me to honor, honor our parents. She's really, really good at
0: that. So let's move in here to and now we've got all kinds of points for this next part and we we'll, we'll, we don't know we'll try to get through these and we'll see how this goes but we've got two sets of 9 which just sounds like we'll never leave but we we, we do try to we're trying to move through these with uh, some some speed here nine ways to avoid exasperating our children. Uh, A lot of these are from John MacArthur. He's preached on this text in the past, and and we kind of adapted his points here. And then the next set of nine, we we got from some other people too and kind of put them all together. So, uh, most of these are not original to us on the stage, although a few of them might be. But uh, we're going to walk through some of these here. So, number one, do not So again, we're talking about how to not uh, exasperate uh, our children And number one is to not overprotect. And you you hear today sometimes about coddling children, and it's a temptation. Oh, my goodness, it's such a temptation to do. You don't want to see them skin their knee. You don't want to see them in any way get hurt or in any way, you know, make a mistake or a bad decision. And so sometimes we can become, you know, the helicopter parent where you're you're over their shoulder all the time. You want to prevent anything possibly bad from ever happening to your child. You want to wrap them up in bubble wrap and hope they never get a cut. Well, the problem with that is, you're not going to mature as a human being if you never face disappointment, never have a degree of risk as you get older, degrees of freedom to make decisions. And of course, there's always going to be parameters around those things, but the overprotection can in the long run actually do a lot of harm to a child because they don't actually reach maturity. They, they don't know how to live on their own. They don't how to function and make independent choices because mom and dad have done everything for me all the way through my 18th birthday and suddenly Maybe I moved to college and I don't know what to do. I don't know how to do anything properly on my own. I don't know how to deal with my laundry. I don't know how to do anything because everything's been done for me. So overprotecting can feel loving in the short run. In the long run, it usually prevents degrees of maturity and can lead to a kind of later exasperation. Yeah, we know how
1: great trials are for each of us and how we've grown through them. But If we just protect our, our kids from trials, which is certainly tempting because we don't, we don't want them to go through hard things, but uh, by going through them, the Lord will… Um, be, and Amy, and her six, when she was 16, went through a really hard time, and the Lord used that. So I think, there, I think there's oftentimes that happens with our kids.
0: For number two, don't show favoritism. We obviously see in the Bible, you can think of some Genesis stories, Joseph with a coat of many colors. His, his relationship with his siblings is poisoned by his father who prefers Joseph uh, to the other sons. And it absolutely creates bitterness and rivalry and dissension and hatred, and even in this case, attempted almost murder. They thought about it and selling them into slavery. Uh, You also see with um, earlier uh, Jacob and Esau. So this is Joseph's dad and his twin brother. Remember, there was favoritism. Rebecca preferred Jacob, and uh, Isaac preferred, help me, Esau, because he was a hunter. And so think about all the incredible family drama that came as a result of favoritism in that family.
2: Yeah. Can I just say a big picture thing? I know I'm sure sort of just pausing this. For yeah, just, yeah. just a quick second. Just a big picture thing. I, it helps me think big picture. Just thinking about kids in general, big picture. Borrowing a lot of this from Alistair Begg, who just had a lot of good sermons on this topic. He said, children are a gift from God, and they are loaned to us. He said they should have a tag on their back that says, uh, what, what did he say? Yours for a limited time. I mean, it's just a limited time. We don't know how long we, we may have them. So the kids are a gift for a limited time. He said, a child, what is a child? He said, a child is the product of the faithful work of a creator God who enter intricately knit them together in, the mother, in their mother's womb. He established their DNA, the unique factors of personality, their traits, and their abilities, all put there by the express purpose of a loving God. And this loving God has stamped his image on them. So they're made in the image of God. Yes, they're born, born in sin. So he, had some, he said, they are cute. We can get so fixated on the cuteness. He said, they're corrupt. He said, they're lovely, but they're lost. Uh, we, we can get, we got to remember that. And he said, uh, they have a soul that is eternal. I mean, we, we need to feel the weight of that as a parent. I, mean, I remember that with Michael when he was young, coming up to his crib and just thinking, he's got a soul and he's gonna live forever. It's eternal, we, we need to feel the weight of that. So our great concern, which I think is the obvious great concern is their eternal well-being. I mean, I think we, we know this, but I think we need, this needs to be stated. And Beck said, our greatest desire and ambition for our children, more than anything else in the entire universe, should be that they will come to know and love and follow Christ as their savior and their Lord, I think we know this, but then if that is true, then it means we wanna talk to them about the gospel, we wanna talk to them about the word of God, and uh, what a privilege it is to do that, we never lose sight of the privilege to tell them, to walk them through the gospel story again and again and again, but then if that is all true, it means we wanna pray, pray, pray for them, and I love what, what Charles Spurgeon said, he had godly parents, godly grandparents, this is what he said after he was converted, he said, my own conversion is a result of prayer, long, affectionate, earnest, importunate, parents prayed for me, God heard their cries and here I am to preach the gospel. So I just think big picture, eternal well-being, we wanna pray for them, wanna tell them about the gospel, what a privilege it is. Just, just, that's kind of just a big picture just to keep in mind.
1: Yeah, wouldn't it be fun, it'd be fun to hear your testimony of who and your grandparents, great-grandparents prayed for you and, uh, and what God has done in your life. And we don't know how prayer works, but I know my grandma, uh, on my dad's side, my grandma Edgar was sure, that every one of her kids, grandkids, great-grandkids, and huge family. She had eight kids, and I don't even remember how many grandkids, and I don't know, 30-something great-grandkids by the time she went heaven. She was positive they were all going to heaven, because she prayed for them. So she just thought that's what happens. You know, God's going to answer my prayer. Great faith. And uh, and and I'm, I have to think
0: that, that a good many will be because of that. So... Yeah, I have to think, this is not really on point here, but in the the world of angels and demons, I have to think sincerely that Satan and demons, that they hate it when we read our Bible, they hate it when we study our Bible. I think Satan hates it the most, perhaps, when we pray. For the salvation of other people. Because I, th- that, I mean, everything, all those things matter so much, but prayer for the salvation of others is so directly uh, connecting to God's sovereign power to save that I, I do think that that's, that's something Satan detests probably more than just about anything else in this world.
1: That's maybe what makes it so hard to, to do, to right. be faithful to do it. Scott, I've really appreciated your being very um, helpful to, to continuing to remind us, to pray for our little guys, and And uh, watch the Lord use those prayers. Mm
0: -hmm. So, again, wrapping up the idea of favoritism, we don't want to show more attention, affection, and excitement and love towards one child over against another. It is going to do long-term damage to all children involved, when one is elevated by affection and one not as much elevated by affection, and they will pick up on it because kids are smart about things like that, and it does long-term damage to families. Number three, don't depreciate their worth. This goes along the same lines, but comparing them to one another, saying, well, you're not as smart as so-and-so or athletic or as pretty as so-and-so, comparing children to one another, why can't you be more like your older sibling? Why aren't you more like your younger sibling? Why aren't you more like this or that? Th- this kind of thing, again, it breeds a competitiveness amongst the children when God has made them all different. And, and to try to put them all on that same sort of competitive playing field will, will in, in the long run, uh, not, be, uh, not be helpful. Thoughts on that? Uh, don't be overly critical of, of your children. Again, this is part of exasperating them. Is, is, we, we've all seen this. You know, you, there's a dad who has an impossibly high standard, and the children, no matter how hard they try, they can never get close to dad's standard. And no matter what they do, dad never seems to be thankful. He never seems to be rewarding anything that they're doing. He just seems to be dis, uh, discontented and, and sort of discouraged about where the child is. Well, man… Over time, what does that do to a child's understanding of the world? And so, uh, I think MacArthur said, we don't expect perfection, but we do expect progress. And those are very different things. Fathers should be easy to please, but hard to satisfy. Think about the distinction there. E- easy to please, as in acts of obedience are something that pleases the dad, but in terms of full satisfaction of all that we are to be, it's hard to get there. But, but that balance, not constant disappointment being poured uh, onto the children. Number five, uh, don't be a spiritual hypocrite in the home. Scott, you want to talk about that?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think this is huge. I love this one. I think it's massive. Uh, I mean, I, I've talked about this, I think I talked about this last summer when we went through 2nd Timothy, but our kids are gonna pick up on what is most important to us. And if the dad is always uh, super passionate about the UGA football game, but never shows any emotion about the things of God, they know this is this is his God. Lowercase g, God is, is UGA football team. Uh, so we, we want to, like, I think, Mark, you said in your notes about you want your kids to grow up and say, yes, my parents had flaws, but they had a genuine love for Jesus. And if you've had that, if your parents, if you grew up with, with parents who love the Lord, I mean, what an incredible <laughs> privilege that is, how thankful we should be to this day that we, we had that privilege. And if you didn't, you want to pray that you'll be that for your kids in the future. But I thought about John Patton, the missionary to to, uh, to the New Hebrides Islands from Scotland, and I was reading this book recently, and it brought him up, but he had godly parents, Uh and his father, in particular, if you've ever read anything about about him with his father, it's a it's a moving thing. But his dad, they had 11 children. I think John Patton was the oldest. But his father would pray, like in his little closet. Uh, I think after almost every meal. But then he'd also have this family time where they they would get together and pray. And uh, this, this is what Patton says about his dad: How much my father's prayers at this time impressed me, I can never explain, nor could any stranger understand. Went on his knees, and all of us kneeling around him in family worship. He poured out his whole soul with tears for the conversion of the heathen world to the service of Jesus and for every personal and domestic need, we all felt as if in the presence of a living Savior and learned to know and love Him as our divine friend. And you have that that famous story where Patton is going off to divinity school and his dad is with him. It's a 40-mile walk to the train station. His father walked with him the first six miles, talking with him, praying with him, encouraging him. They get to that point, he's got to turn around, they got to to say goodbye. But I can't even talk about it without getting emotional because it's such a powerful scene. He he grabs his... uh, Patton's dad grabs his son's hand, and he says, uh, God bless you, my son. Your father's God prosper you and keep you from all evil. And then he kept praying silently, and they, they part ways. And Patton has to has to run around the corner, and he has to run down the hill because he's so overcome like with emotion. He just he just cried and cried and cried. And then he, he waits some time, and he's going he's to come up to see if his dad is still there. And he looks up, and his dad is just coming up at the same time. Both of them had run down and wept, but his father didn't see him, couldn't see him. And then he said he, his father looked, and he, and he turned around, and he kept walking back. But then he said, uh, in that moment, he said, "He vowed deeply and often, by the help of God, to live and act so as never to grieve or dishonor such a father or mother as he had given me." I mean, just the power of, of not being a spiritual hypocrite. Can his, and Piper thinks that uh, all of Patton that he did it comes back to this love of his father. Had this just, and I'm sure he's right that had this. So we just we want to be like, at least in some degree. Uh, there's wonderful examples in church history that we can we can learn from.
0: Yeah, just. I know I've mentioned this several times, but Don Carson's dad, uh, Tom Carson, was an unheard of pastor in Canada, and um, his, Don's brother, Don Carson's brother, who's someone we would not have heard of, he said, in his own words, he said, you know, he, he went looking for his dad one day, he stumbled into his dad's office, and his dad was on his face praying for the dozen people he had just preached to, because he had a tiny church in French Canada, and so he, he was on his face weeping and praying for the 12 people he had preached to that Sunday, and he said his brother… <laughs> Like quietly backed out of the room and closed the door. And then he, he said, later in my wandering years, his brother went on a prodigal journey into sin for a period of time. He said, what I could never erase from my memory was the thought of my dad kneeling beside that chair and praying with tears in his eyes for me, the family, and for his church. And he said that was part of what brought me back years later. That, that has just stamped itself so deeply in my mind of Listen, my kids know I sin. I make mistakes constantly. I am embarrassed by them. Uh, I have to apologize to my children for losing my temper or saying something too intensely. That happens regularly. It's just part of, I'm trying to grow. I want to grow in that. But I want my children to be able to say, when they're in their 20s or whatever, later in life, I want them to say, man, dad had all kinds of flaws. Mom had all kinds of flaws. I know they really loved Jesus and I know they really loved us because they, they weren't hypocrites. I want them to say they weren't hypocrites. They, they had all kinds of flaws. But fundamentally, Dad wasn't just doing this for a paycheck. He was doing this because he actually cared about the Lord, and he he loved the Lord. And if they say that, uh, there's no price tag you can put on something like that as a parent. No, that's very
1: challenging. Don't show number six them too little affection. You guys want to address that one?
2: i got to collect myself.
1: Not really. We're not being very affectionate on that, but yeah, that's… So, there's so many… You know, you can just read about this all over the place of just how, and maybe again as dads, so important there, and we don't want to leave moms out of this because moms certainly are, um, you know, included in this as well. But
0: yeah, I mean, I I preached on this a while back, but when Jesus was baptized, God the Father says, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And I spent more time on this in that sermon, but just mentioning the obvious here. Number one, God the Father was present and not absent. So dad needs to be there for his children whenever possible. He made his presence felt by sending his spirit, and fathers need to make their presence known when they're with and around their children. He was present and engaged. He wasn't present and detached and distracted, constantly checking email or something at, you know, the recital or whatever it might be. He identified himself with his son publicly by saying, this is my son, And he expressed his love for his son, this publicly, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And he was not ashamed to express that delight in his son. So not taking our children for granted, not uh, avoiding time with them unnecessarily, uh, the the children need to sense that delight that we have uh, in them and that love that we have for them.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think it ties in with selfishness. I mean, you can be tired as a parent and just want to check out. And and I I don't remember exactly what this was, but some… Some kids uh, made this picture of their mom. I don't remember if it was at school or something, and had their mom with a cell phone, and they said, like, please take the cell phone away from mommy, because they just know that she keeps going to this phone, and they know that they're being neglected because of this, this phone. I mean, that can tie into it. We, we can just, but then we want to come back. to They're a gift from God to us. Uh, we're not promised tomorrow with them, and we want to just pray for strength and help to engage them in this moment, because this, this moment is passing so fast. we got to fight the laziness there to... I mean, the self, all of us are going to face that, I think, as a parent, but you want to fight against that, remembering that they're a gift, and th- this time is a gift, so we want to fight against the selfishness. We can so easily just check out because we're tired, but we, we got to fight against it.
1: That's good, and especially as dads. Um, you know, we see that in Adam in chapter 3, where he, in Genesis 3, where he was just passive, and I think that's, I know I've failed in that so many times, by just not being um, intentional enough in the way we uh, show affection to our families.
0: Yes, number seven, don't fail to provide for them. So, physically, uh, emotionally, and spiritually, you'll probably remember First Timothy 5, 8, if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So, this is very basic, but physical, emotional, spiritual provision that we, we owe to those in our care and that we need to be able to give generously. Uh, number eight. Don't elevate what is less important over what is more important, or how did I word it on here? Don't value what is the trivial over the eternal. Jerry, you want to say a word about not valuing the trivial and being yeah. more passionate about the trivial over the eternal? Uh, it's
1: just easy, isn't it, to just maybe uh, about something, how much something cost, or um, but not to good those three things that really matter: God and the Word of God and the souls of man, We just need to remember that it's not really the vase in the uh, the the living room. That thing matters a little bit, and we want to learn how to be, take care of the stuff, but what really matters is the heart of our, our kids. They're eternal. And so if we would show them wrongly that uh, it's really all about, you know, and even just external behavior, we have to make sure they know that it is about their heart, and we are going to pour into them uh, those eternal things and continually remind them that, uh, that the Lord and, and God's Word and the souls of men. That's what we're about. And uh, we need to be about that at home. We need to be about that um, away from home, both both of those.
0: Okay, this last one, don't ignore the gospel in your discipline. Scott, do you want to say a word about that?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, I mean, we need the gospel. We need God's grace ourselves, and so we want to model that. I think even with Michael's only about three and a half years old, and both Liliana and I have been able to I like ask forgiveness from him, and it's just been some sweet times. I mean, she had one where in the car, and she, he was in the car seat behind, and like they, he had this recognition that he know he was wrong, and yet she is saying, can you forgive me? There's just sweet gospel, like we need it. I remember one pastor had, I think he had four sons, and they adopted a daughter, not Piper, but a different guy, and uh, I think the daughter was having trouble loving her older brothers, and she said that that night, and, and, she, and uh, this pastor just said, you know, what a great place to be. She's, she needs grace, and he was like, I need grace too, and he was able to just talk about that. Like, I need grace to love others well, they were able to pray for grace to love, you, love your sisters better, that type of thing. But it is. We need that gospel. I and mean, we need to show our our kids that we need the gospel. Uh, we are sinners that are in desperate need of God's grace as well, and we want to model that.
0: We'll, we'll skip the other set of points. for. A we'll come back to them on a later day. Uh, let's move yeah. on here to our next uh, part of the passage. Jerry, can you read 22 through
1: one? Yeah, if I can find Colossians again, I think I can. Um... Yeah, this is, a, this is a very challenging and I think encouraging as well. Um, Bond servants obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord, not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. I think we see again, he finishes this chapter. I, I think it is somewhere away to the way he starts it. If you go back to chapter three, verse one, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Say your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died in your life is kin with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will appear with him in glory. But It hit me this week to think it really, again, just as parents or as children, it doesn't really depend on whether we have a good boss or not. That really doesn't matter. That doesn't have anything to do with anything in this. What matters? What matters is that it's for the Lord. Not by way of eye service or people pleasers, but with sincerity, heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily for what? As for the Lord not for men, knowing that from the Lord, third time, you'll receive an inheritance from the Lord. You are serving the Lord Christ. I think he goes to extra lengths here to remind us this is all about Jesus. It's the way we started the chapter three. It's what all of Caution's has been about. And now I just think it's great and that's where you're gonna get your inheritance from. You are serving the Lord Christ. So all of us have different situations at work, but how convicting but maybe encouraging to say my circumstances at work really have nothing to do with how I respond here because I am only serving the Lord. That is all this is really about. And, um, and I think that will bring great joy even at hard times at work, but I think it will also bring maybe a, a deeper conviction where we won't grumble as much um, if on, on the hard days.
0: And with every job, there's always going to be sort of a menial side to every job. And no matter what you're doing, there are going to be moments you're like, wow, this is not what I want to be doing right now. It doesn't matter what, it it could be your dream job. You're going to have moments you're going, this is not what I signed up for. I did not think this was going to be taking up so much time in in my job. And this actually elevates the significance of the menial parts of our job because we are serving not our boss. We're serving the Lord Christ. So once you see this is connected to the God who made heaven and earth. This is connected to eternity. This is connected to things that, that matter forever. It, it, gra- it adds gravity to the most menial thing. The smallest mm-hmm. act of service connected to our job is eternal. It is significant because it is attached to, to Christ.
2: Yeah, I, I think that, uh, I mean, I think the work area can be an area where the gospel maybe does, it's parched ground where the gospel maybe doesn't touch. Or I think Nancy Pearson uses the fancy word of bifurcated lives, where we can live split lives, where we can have our faith sort of in our back pocket. Once we go to church, we know our faith is supposed to operate here, but then we sort of go to work. We put it in our back pocket, and we don't really think about how our faith should be working out at our jobs. And I think Jerry Bridges talks about ungodliness and, and respectable sins. It was one of the most convicting parts of that, where you just think ungodliness is this wickedness out there, but then you think, oh man, it's like just going hours without thinking about God. That, that's being ungodly, and yet how many days can we go to work and just go hours without ever a thought of God? In that sense, we are behaving in an ungodly way, so we want to bring God into every situation. I mean, it it should impact everything. We want to think that even this menial task, I'm doing it for for God and for His glory. So I just think we've got to think biblically about this, how our faith should be touching every area of our life, and this may be an area where we need to come back to these basic truths where this should be impacting how how we are living.
1: Could you help us in 23? Heartily, work heartily as unto the Lord. And so there's I think as believers, we should be the hardest workers out there. We, I mean, we really shouldn't. We should be dead, completely different than the unbeliever, right? We're alive and they're dead. They're dead in their, their um, transgressions and their sins. We're alive. We have the Holy Spirit to give us encouragement through the mundane and all of those things. And so I, I think it's kind of challenging to say, at, compared to the unbelievers at your job, are you a whole different bird? Are you completely... One that they would say, well, that guy or girl, he works hard, she works hard all day long, even through the mundane. And that's uh, a great challenge, I think.
0: Jerry, let me ask you, if, if, if I'm struggling or anybody's struggling with a bad attitude about their job, you're just feeling like, this is not exactly what I signed up for. I don't really want to be doing this particular part of what I'm doing, and it's taken up more time than I thought. How do you address that attitude issue that we all can struggle with at times? I call Papa.
2: <laughs> yeah, he's pretty
1: encouraging there. Yeah, I think it is. I think you go to a passage like this. You know, you got to go, I think we have to meditate on the word. And uh, because those circumstances, I think, tend to, to drag us down pretty easily. And, um, and instead to say, hey, wait a second here. I am wrong in just showing joy when things are easy. I have to be joyful always. Pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, and look to work heartily because I'm working for the Lord. And don't you think a big part of this is not to be, it's not instant gratification and can't ever be for the believer. This is long range. We have to think a long way from now. Um, Eternity, that's where we're going to be rewarded for doing what we ought to, working heartily, even when we don't feel like it, or even when we're not getting rewarded at all. You know, maybe by the paycheck or a pat on the back.
2: Good, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, I was just gonna tell the story more that you told a few months ago in your sermon, Mark told the story you may remember where this, this guy uh, was a businessman and he had been transferred to this new city in Scotland and uh, he was getting to know everybody in the different departments. And he was walking through meeting everybody and he came past what was called a typing pool where a bunch of secretaries before computers, they, all these secretaries are typing up all these documents, and he was just passing. He didn't even see in there, I don't think, and he heard this one typewriter was just going at this insane rate and just very constant loud. He was almost annoyed by the sound of it. He said to the guy who was taking him around, you know, what, what is that noise? Who is that doing that? And the guy just said, uh, who was not a Christian, I don't think, just said, well, that's so-and-so. She's a Christian. And this young businessman is like, what in the world? Like It didn't make sense in his mind. How could the fact... She's a Christian, have anything to do with, with her job. And so it, it led him to examine the truth claims of Christianity. And, and then he comes to saving faith. He ends up at Sinclair Ferguson's church. Sinclair Ferguson is 15 years old. Sinclair Ferguson is listening to this this guy tell his his testimony. And that was a big thing that led Sinclair Ferguson to faith in Christ. I just I didn't know it was Sinclair Ferguson yep. until recently. I was listening to him talk about it. And Ferguson said he's always thought that maybe by God's grace he would meet this lady someday. And in heaven he certainly would. I would love to be there to see them, to meet. And he was just saying he wanted to tell her uh, how important, he said, uh, her faithful consistency has been in my life. I mean, here's a woman who's just trying to honor God. In her, she has no idea the fruit that's gonna happen, but here's a woman just being faithfully, working heartily unto the Lord, and look at this incredible fruit. This guy comes to faith in Christ, which leads to Ferguson's faith. How many lives have Ferguson impacted? It all goes back to this, this lady just faith. I mean, I, just, I love stories like that. This is a woman who just wanted to honor God. What an example for us to follow. Yeah, I think so
1: too. Mark, um, I think you've really uh, been good to help us to know there is no job That isn't ministry. That's too many double negatives. Every job is a ministry, no matter what. And it isn't that a missionary. If they're called to be a missionary, then they need to work hardly as unto the Lord. But so does a plumber, and so does the housewife, and so does everybody else. And whatever we're called to, that's going to be different, but it's going to be the faithfulness of how we go about it and what our attitude is is about it and i would say and and greg on this too but scott and mark and and greg have been set such a great example to to me and i think to all of us in saying when we're going to teach the word we need to be prepared we need to really be after sound doctrine and i've appreciated this because one of the most terrifying and this is a a story i just hate to think about but one of the most terrifying things that I ever did was in Colossians on a Sunday night um, probably 24 years ago and I'll never forgot that I taught a passage so wrongly it just it's it's terrible I think about that I think about it. I was not faithful to work hardly as unto the Lord I cut some corners I didn't realize it until the next week. Oh, no. It was flat-out heresy, what I taught. And um, I, it's one of those things that, you know, forgetting what's behind and pressing on toward what's ahead. But I really appreciate it. Thinking about that this week made me so thankful for you guys and for Greg, too, that really there's an emphasis to teach the Word and to be prepared to teach it. And to do that faithfully, and that um, reminds me of this um, and Street Twenty Three.
0: Uh, also, I'm just some of us. Uh, some of us are more extroverted. Some of us are more introverted. Some of us are around a lot of people every day at work. Some of us are around very few. But we are virtually all of us are interacting with other human beings with our work, whatever it may be. And just thinking about. Uh, If I have a sour attitude, if I have a negative attitude, if I have a complaining attitude, it really does negatively impact my witness and it negatively impacts the people around me. If there is a consistent joy, not a plastic fake Christian joy that's not real, but a real joy of the Spirit coming out of me on a consistent basis, no one is perfect, but if there's a consistent real peace and joy in my life, no matter who I'm interacting with. I mean. Seeing those little interactions as significant as they really are, because we're we're dealing with as C.S. Lewis said, no mere mortals. We're dealing with eternal beings who are either going to live in God's presence or cast out forever. And so there is no such thing as an unimportant human interaction.
1: No, I think verse twenty-three is contagious. When we work hardily, that is going to cause other people to, to maybe want to as well. Very important.
0: All right, let me let me finish this. Uh, we're, we're getting close to the end here. Let's look at. Uh, let me reread part of this. Let's look at twenty-two. I'll read to the end. knowing that you also have a master in heaven. I, I love how Paul uses the gospel to invert people's statuses. To so say, like, oh, you're a master? You, you, the, the word for Lord, you're a Lord, you're a master in this world. You've got, you, you know, you've got people that you, that you have authority over, and you kind of maybe want to puff your chest out a little bit. He goes, okay, how about this? You are a slave to the true master. You, you, the, the masters are actually slaves. And then he'll say in another text, the slaves, in a sense, are actually ruling in Christ and reigning in Christ. So often the gospel flips these categories upside down. The, the humble person is exalted, the exalted person is humbled. But if we have positions of authority in any way, in any relationship, uh, those are things we should always keep in mind that we are under the authority of Christ and we should know that we are being watched by the Lord and that we will be accountable to the Lord for what we do and how we use that authority. And so, kind of like your illustration about. The, you said teaching the text incorrectly, but those moments where we want to say, I want to be faithful to the master who's above me in those moments.
2: Yeah, I mean, just a few things. This is, I don't even know who wrote some of this, but it, it's convicting. It says, respond to your coworkers graciously as Christ has been gracious to you. Serve and love your coworkers unexpectedly and unashamedly, because that is how Jesus has served and loved you. Cultivate compassion towards your coworkers by regularly praying for them. And I think, uh, especially if you're in maybe not a Christian environment like you guys are, where a lot of non-Christians are around you, that you're going to be tempted to, Fall into whatever gossip it is, or whatever. And I, I think of Manuel Fierro, who he just—he wasn't going to gossip in, in the in the lab that he was a part of, and just that one simple act of just trying to honor God in that way. And Jose, let's, lets the Jose Rodriguez's conversion. I think there's just we don't we can be sucked in so easily, but we we want to stand out. Uh, it is a convicting thing, which I do think. Like even this whole passage for me this week, studying like the parenting stuff. I just feel like I've fallen off on so I've overprotected. I've I've disciplined wrong. Like too too light, too hard. I mean, just and you just feel the weight of it all. But Sinclair Ferguson, at the end of his sermon, he said, the Lord Jesus Christ died for all my failures here. It's just like, it was so sweet to be reminded of this gospel truth to wash back over you when you, when you have failed in this way. But then there's also this gospel to strengthen you, to go and, in light of the gospel now, to, you want to do better, relying on the Lord's strength in parenting or at work. I just feel like you should feel sort of the weight of this, but you should also be reminded of the sweetness of the gospel. Yeah,
1: and Mark and I know we've talked about probably that where would we be if we didn't have a job all day where we get to talk about Scripture? I really admire all of you that are in a, a field where uh, it is not all about the Bible every day. Because that would be a huge challenge that, uh, that I've never really experienced. And I really, that's what I take my hats off to, are those of you that... Um, will continue to pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, be joyful always. Not when you're talking about the Bible, but when you're digging a trench or when you're uh, taking care of uh, little guys or when you're doing all that God's called you to do nursing. It's just so um, uh, important to come back to these things and to say that's just as important As uh, as the the time of teaching the word, if
0: that's what you're called to, just as an encouragement, we're almost done with this part. But as an encouragement, I mean, the Lord Jesus in his earthly life did ministry for about three years. Most of the time, he was working a not a Christian job, right? You know, in in that sense, he was working a regular blue collar job for most of his years. So when God becomes incarnate, he works with wood and masonry for 30 years. And then he does ministry for three. And then it, so just if there was ever a moment where God dignified those kinds of jobs, he did it by doing them himself. And that's something we can remember as we, as we do whatever the Lord's called us to do.
1: Anything he else? Can you close us a yep. prayer? Love to. Father, we are so grateful for a passage like this. Um, so convicting, um, so encouraging. I thank you that you um, have given us all we need for life and godliness. Through the spirit that lives in us, through your word, pray that we would meditate on it day and night, that we would observe to do according to all that's written therein, in our uh, jobs, as we're uh, parents, um, and being a a wife or a husband, Lord, let us um, uh, be different as you've called us to be. Um, I pray that we would be godly in the way um, we go about uh, this in front of our coworkers. Uh, Lord, I pray that we would work heartily um, as unto you. And uh, Lord, that we would not be so quick to uh, complain, um, possibly about um, whether it be our maid or our children or our job, um, but that we would be quick to give you glory with the way we go um, about this life. And Lord, as we talk now um, about these things uh, at our tables, we ask that you would give us uh, great wisdom to know how to uh, honor you in a greater way this week than we ever have before. And we pray this in Jesus' name.